Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. On this episode, I chat to rugby league legend, two-time man of steel, Sam Tompkins. We talk about the state of play in the great game of rugby league, living next door to Sean Edwards, and what rugby union player could apply their trade at the highest level in rugby league. Enjoy. Big Jim is wearing his heels. Marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now. And he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gets loud. I'm a big dick house. I showed him lots of whiskey and he shoots it's like a mouse. Hello, Sam. How are you, brother? Hi, mate. I'm well, thanks. How are you? Very good. Mate, you're two minutes early. Ten minutes late, that, isn't it? Exactly. No, salt the earth, mate. Awesome to have you. And you're fully branded up as well. Beard's done. Lid looks on point. Do you know what? I've literally, I, I had a training session this morning I've literally just got in the house might even have a show I had to rush back from Warrington so I wasn't actually on brand I'm just straight from training <laughs> no you look a million dollars mate uh, we'll get into it it's class to have you it's brilliant to do a bit of crossover stuff with yourself rugby league legend and the fact that I'm in union I'm not even going to put myself as legend in that bracket as yourself because I was YouTubing some of your stuff Man of Steel, let's just start with that because I was chatting to Chris Ashton, who I'm good mates with actually. Let's start with Chris Ashton. Let's start with that relationship that you've got with him because I was texting Ashy just, he's at a live show for us this week and I said, oh, I'm interviewing Sam Tompkins and he said, oh, I'm best mates with his brother. I said, oh, what's Sam like? He said, oh, I used to get stuck into him when he was a young lad. I said, well, if that's the same as getting stuck into me when we were at Saracens together, I said, you basically bullied him as a young lad. What was Ashy like? <laughs> He tried to bully me. He tried his best. Yeah, so he actually went to the same school as, as I did. He was the same year as, as my older brother, Joel. So they were they were really close through through school. Got into a few scuffles with Chris after after school a few times. We'd be, he used to come back to our house very often from straight from school. But that's the that's the kind of character Chris is, isn't it? He's a marmite, I think. And uh, at times, I loved him and hated him. Well, the, I call him the lovable rogue because a lot of people see the worst in him but there's a part of him that's quite endearing did you used to fill him in then or not or did he used to get on top of you yeah i'll say i i, I won it on points decision over the years i'd say exactly and that now look you're a man of steel i know it is going over a bit of old ground but just for the listeners i mean hell of a title to have and you look through your clips and stuff like that which naturally you have to do before we chat i'm sure you've looked through mine on youtube as well and uh embarrassing Absolutely embarrassing to even compare myself to anything remotely like yourself. But Man of Steel, for the listeners, it sounds unreal. What does that mean? They basically vote who they think the best player of the in the, in the league is. Uh, the, the voting process for it has changed over the years. Um, the first time I won it was in 2012. 
And that was media, coaches, journalists and things picked it. But now the new system, which I won it last year on, is it's a point system. So every week uh, they've got a Man of Steel panel uh, and, and every week they pick a player on the field that receives three points, one receives two and, and one receives one point. And they build it up through through the year. So, yeah, last year, 2020, uh, was the, the, the last year I got it, yeah. And which was the better one? I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine the second one, maybe with where you are in your life now, the injuries that you've had to overcome, if you had to pick one, what would it be? Yeah, it meant it meant more winning it in 2021, just because I think the first time I won it, I was early 20s, probably almost thought I would get that again. Not consciously, but subconsciously thinking, well, I'm, I'm only 22 or something and I'd won, I'd got the, the Player of the Year award. So I sort of almost took it for granted, I think. But yeah, then then winning it at 32 years old was it meant more because I thought the chances of me winning it again are much much slimmer than than last time. But it's an individual award, and it sounds a bit cliche, but it's only a representation of the of the group that you're playing in. I think the the first time I won it was you know I was I was breaking tackles, I was scoring a lot of tries, I was you know I was the fastest kid in the team. Last year with it with the Catalan Dragons, we got to our first ever grand final. And it was a it was a huge year for the club. A lot of players in that group, you know, played their best year, and I was I was amongst that. You know, I'd played the best I'd played for a long time, as did a lot of other people in the group, which which allowed me then to do my thing. So, yeah, I think the first time when it was probably more individual, and and the, and the second time was was definitely a collective from from the full group. Yeah, well, it's a hell of a title to have, isn't it? Man of Steel. You know what I mean? All- Sounds more impressive. Yeah, no, it absolutely <laughs> does. So. I think one of the things as well where trying to find some comparisons, and there aren't many, is the fact that you've got four kids. I've got four kids, and I've aged significantly, hence why I put the cap on, because the hair's slightly thinning yeah. off the back of having four kids. But how are you finding that, being a dad and, and working through a professional career and also this transition period that is naturally going to be in the future for you? Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. <laughs> Honesty. Northerners, mate. This is what I love. Honest men. It's the toughest and the most amazing things, as, as you'd know. The difference between having three and four didn't make a difference for us. I think, as anyone knows, when you've got three kids, you've got no free time. You can't have less than no free time. So I felt like when I had a fourth, I might as well keep going. I could have 10 now, it doesn't matter. We'd, we're overrun anyway. We're, we're well outnumbered. So it's amazing. But yeah, it's it's tough. As as you'd know, there's never a there's never a quiet moment. But you know, I'm over in England now with for the for the World Cup and the missus is back in back in France with the with the four kids and two dogs. So Every time she calls, I have to pretend I'm training really hard and I'm not getting any sleep. I'm like, oh, yeah, the beds are rubbish in this five-star hotel. Man, she's at home with crying kids. Yeah, bless her. Because one of the interesting things, and not to stereotype you as a traditional northerner, because I'm sure there's many more strings to you, bro, but chatting to Chris Ashton and me and him made a bet when he left Saracens, we were together there, and he went to play in Toulon. And I played a year in Montpellier. And because I know him, I was like, mate, you ain't lasting longer than a year. And he bet his house. So he was like, I bet you my house that I stay longer. I was like, <laughs> all right, then. I said, I'll take it. He didn't want anything in return. He was that confident he was going to stay. And as we know, he lasted the year and that was it. And he had an unbelievable season. You're one of the rare ones where it seems like you absolutely love it there. And you've got no intentions on coming back. That is a rare thing for for someone that's kind of grown up north and the rugby league kind of psyche. You don't see many lads that don't want to be at home and that are home birds. Well, I think the reason for it being is I started at Wigan, played at Wigan, and this is where I was, I was brought up. 
but I got this real strong feeling that I wanted to go and do something different. So that was when I was 23, I moved out to New Zealand, played for the New Zealand Warriors for two years. And my wife fell pregnant towards the end of the second year. And, and that was the main pull for us to, to move back. We wanted to be around my brothers and who, who've got young kids. But we loved living away. You know, we loved living abroad and we loved living in a completely different culture to what we were used to. My wife's from Wigan as well. So she, you know, we, we hadn't really experienced anything else. But when we went to New Zealand, we loved it. And then I decided to sign back at Wigan, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best thing to do because it wasn't long after coming back to Wigan. It was like, I'm stuck back in the same back in the same position. And, and not, not, not in terms of rugby, because the rugby was good. We went on and we won a, another competition while I was back for Wigan. We, we won the title. But in terms of everything away from rugby, we didn't really enjoy quite as much living back in, in the in the area. We wanted that feeling again of, of doing something different. So when the opportunity came to go to Catalan Dragons, it, it just felt like a really good fit because it's not New Zealand. It's not 24 hours on a plane. It's, you know, it, it's it's almost like living down south. Like when my brother was playing at Saracens, to get home, it'd take him three, four hours, you know, on a Friday after training for him to get back up here. Well, it takes me the same to fly from Perpignan into Manchester and get home. So... It's although we're living abroad, it's it's very very close. But yeah, before we went actually in 2018, I went for a meal with Joel, and he said, "Oh, Ashy's Ashy's up, so he's going to come over." And he'd just been uh, in France, and me and my wife and, and Joel also knew that I was pretty sure I was going to go to France. I hadn't signed anything, and we were chatting with Ashy in the restaurant, an Italian restaurant, you know, chatting to him and his his missus, and they were like, "Oh." Francis shit. It's rubbish. <laughs> it's terrible. And I'm sat there like thinking, I hope my wife doesn't buy into this. And he said, you know, he found it tough. Like the rugby, obviously, his, his stats speak for himself. He had an unbelievable year playing there. But I think the, the living side of it was was what he struggled a bit with. It was funny, we left the meal and my wife was like, well, Chris didn't like it. I said, oh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, from, from the minute we got there, we enjoyed it. We bought a property just before we arrived there at, to renovate and, and the plan was we'll go and we'll buy a holiday home while we're there. We'll keep that forever when we move back to back to England. We'll, you know, we've always got a place down south of France. And six months into the renovation, we were starting thinking, well actually let's not do it up as a holiday home. Let's, you know, let's get the bit of a better kitchen or you know, things started changing. We were like, you know, we might be here for a bit longer. And it was almost like neither of us wanted to say, should we just stay in France forever? You know, it was almost like we didn't want to take that 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 leap of faith and say, no, we could we could live here forever. But like I've been there four years now, but we've no plans to to come back. It's just a, an amazing place to live. I've got four kids there. When I left, I had a I had two kids, a two year old and a one year old. So they they've got no memory of living in England. Uh, my eldest, uh, you know, they're seven, uh, six and five now. I've got a three year old and a one year old. So. The three of them are in school. Uh, my eldest boy is completely fluent. My second lad's not far off. So they don't know anything else. So they live in the south of France. They've, you know, they go around to the friends. Everyone's got a swimming pool and they think it's normal, which is scary for me because every now and then I get a snapshot of like, this isn't normal life. They shouldn't think it's normal, but, but they do. So it's almost like the move back to England would be bigger 
than staying. You know, people like, how could you stay out there? But I said, it'd be more difficult to come back now, I think. Yeah, well, that's great because you do hear some horror stories, don't you? And based on Ashley and myself, I didn't really enjoy it. I struggled and I'm quite worldly, I saw myself. But I mean, it was a very French place where I was, Montpellier, Toulon. I know they had some international players, but a quite a French, French culture. What's the Catalan Dragons like? Is it what we think is quite French because it's in Perpignan or is there a bit of a mix with the coaching and the way that they do things? Yeah, it's it's pretty mixed really. So about half of the squad is, is French, maybe slightly more than half. But then we've got English, we've probably got five English players and then we've got another five overseas, New Zealander or Aussies, whatever. And the coach is English. The conditioner, Matt Parr, who was, at, who was at Leicester Tigers. He's the head of performance. Yeah, I played with Parr. Me and him played England under 19. I played for Scotland, but that's when I was English. So I played under 19s with him. So tell Parr is asking for him. Yeah, yeah, well, so we, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of uh, English influence, but also then the assistant and the, he's French, Tom Bosque. So we, the coaching gets done in both languages. But a, a lot of rugby terminology it doesn't really matter if they say it in French or English. We all sort of know that everyone knows the basics. And then in terms of just meetings are done predominantly in English because the French are better at speaking English than the English are at speaking French. And then there's, we also have Tom, the assistant who's fluent that, that translates anything normally for the younger French players that, that don't have a, a full understanding. So the, the actual team is, is a bit of both. The areas, you know, very French. Um, as you touched on when you were over there, it's, You've got to throw yourself into it. That's what I found when moving to France. It was the most frustrating first six months of my life because everywhere shuts at lunchtime. It took me six months to stop going to the shop at one o'clock in the afternoon like, and find everything shut. There's loads of little things that once you get used to, it, it, it's brilliant, but it, it's different. And I think when people go to France, it's difficult to tell who'll like it and who won't. Like I've, I've spoken to people that have had contract offers from, from the Dragons and they've said, oh, do you think I like it? And I say, well, I do, but I've got friends that don't and friends that came and didn't like it. And one of my friends, uh, Mickey McClorum, he's the he's the hooker for, for England and for Catalan Dragons. He went over 12 months before me and he's staying. He's got a house down the road and that's someone that I've grown up with from being 15. He's going to retire next year and, and stay in France and he just lives in the next village. So I, I wouldn't have picked that he'd want to stay there. But it's, um, yeah, I suppose it's once you get there and throw yourself into it, some, some decide they like it and some don't. Yeah, because we've had Sean Edwards, who I know is your neighbour, and we want to talk a little bit about that, but we've had Sean Edwards on the podcast, and you talk about throwing yourself into it. Now, he is traditionally an hard northerner, but someone that has left rugby league, been very, very successful, one of the most successful coaches in the game in Union now. But similarly, he's gone there, thrown himself into it, tray on bar, placards, placards, shouting at the French lads. It must have been hard for him, do you know what I mean, to go in there? Because it isn't just a club team. It's an international with everything that goes with that and the bright lights are on you. But he's living down the road. Has he thrown himself into it, has he? Yeah, he's not, not too far away. Yeah, I imagine it's tougher for a coach than a player because as a player, you've, you've got all the players around you and you sort of weigh it out. People will help you and... You know, but Sean's gone in in a massive role in the French team with a lot of pressure, I imagine. And yeah, he, he threw himself straight in. It was the reason he lives near near us because we're we're as far south as you can get. We're you know ten minutes and you're in Spain. He came over a few years ago and he was he came to a training session. I just went over and I saw what what are you up to, and he said, "Oh, I'm over with a family. We're just travelling around France. You know, I've got this job now, so I'm gonna." 
we're going to move to France somewhere. Everything's based up in Paris for the rugby union, but he said, I'm just sort of coming on holiday down here. And that day we had a family day on the field. So what we do is, because it is a very multicultural team, there's a little bit of, the club has to sort of organise things for people to get together because they wouldn't necessarily go for a coffee with someone who doesn't speak the same language family-wise. So we had this family day and uh, the coach, Steve McNamara, just said to uh, Sean Edwards, just said, oh, just bring your family and, and kids down. So they came down and all the kids are playing. And then we were just chatting after it. And he just said, I'll just live here. I went, all right. He said, yeah, I'll just live here. He said, I didn't know there were so many Wiganers because there's about four lads in the team from Wigan. Can't believe there's so many Wiganers around. I said, yeah, yeah. And uh, that night he texted and said, oh, do you want to go for a meal down on the beach? So five or six of us went down, had a meal, and uh, he just said, oh, thanks for like, accepting my family in today, appreciate it. And he said it again. He said, I'm just going just gonna to live down here with you lot. And I was like, half thinking, is he saying it joking or not? And then a month later, he's bought a house, he's, he's renovating his house and, and moved down. So he really threw himself into it. And we, we, were, we were chatting about the – I asked him, I said, do you, do you have to address the players all in French straight away? And he's like, yeah. He said, so all I do is I plan – my five sentences, what I've got to get out that day. And he said, and I just, I hit him with that in French. I said, well, when they come back with French, he said, and just say, you'll have to translate that. <laughs> he says, he's got, he's got, he can get it out at the start. But he says, when they start coming back at me, I, I struggle. And that was a few years ago. I'm sure he's, he's much better now. But yeah, like Sean is, as you say, he's the image of a, a Northern man. He's the image of a Wigan man. He's, he's a legend in these parts. You know, he's, he's a God in Wigan. People, that you know, be kissing his feet if he walks around these areas because of what he did for the Wigan Rugby League. But you see him, I see him knocking around on the the beach and things, and he hasn't bought into looking like a Frenchman at all. He's there. He's, he looks like a Brit abroad every single day. But he's, I, I really enjoy his company. You know, real intelligent man and an ab, a rugby, a full rugby nerd. Like he's ob, he's obsessive. He probably he probably watches us train two or three times a week. You just be training, and then you'll see his. Walks up into the back of the stand, watches training, gives you a thumbs up, and then leaves. He's, he's not there. He's not chatting to anyone. He just wants to study. And I asked him about it once, and he said he, he just loves studying coaches. So he's, he's driving down the road in in Perpignan, and there's an amateur team training. He'll stop and watch, and he says, "I just want to see what the coaches do and how players respond to certain things." And that's probably one of the big reasons why he has been so successful is that he is obsessed with with rugby, both codes. You know, he's He's a he's a big Catalan Dragons fan now, and and he he loves it, and you know he's got loads to say about it and loads of opinions. He comes and sits in in meetings sometimes. We'll have a video meeting, and he just pops in, sits at the back of the room, and and, and ducks back out, and that's just him being obsessive. Yeah, the guys are class. That you could picture them, couldn't you, at one of these local rugby clubs, just at the fence, just screaming placards at them. Do you know what I mean? As they're, <laughs> yeah. as they're doing their defensive drills. Does he talk without speaking for him? Does he talk about the French team? Does he talk about that kind of psyche? I know we're segueing slightly here, but while we're on him, if you're at home talking ruggers, does he talk about because they're so good at the minute, the French team and the Union World Cups around the corner? You've got France as well in your pool. Does he talk about that psyche at all with you? When he spoke about the French team, he actually said. It's quite easy what I'm doing. He said, I'm just coming in with with fresh eyes on it. You know, he's, he's a defensive coach and he's got real basic principles that he says, you know, you get these right and, you know, you'll reap the rewards. So in terms of when he when he first got the job with the, with the national side, he said, it, you know, what I'm actually coaching is pretty basic, but he's a very humble man. He'd never say, I know something anyone else doesn't and and he doesn't want to come across like it's all of him. But I've got friends that, that are close 
in the rugby union circles in France, and, and they're amazed by him. They think he's, you know, he's he's unbelievable. What he's they came in and really changed how, how they played the French, and and they, and they got the rewards for that. So he's a, he's an intelligent man, and yeah, I love spending time with him. Yeah, you say humble. Has he got a pool being built in the garden? Not that if you've got a pool, you're not humble, but I bet he has. He has got a nice big swimming pool, yeah, definitely. I've, I've, I've been around there. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. He deserves it. What's the state of league like now, Sam? I used to watch it loads when I was younger, maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, when it was on Friday night, you had the boots and all and everything around it. Yeah. Now, you might be able to tell me otherwise, unions in a whole world of issues at the minute. I don't know how much you've seen of it obviously with the concussion stuff, but then you look at the premiership stuff. Has Lee gone through a similar thing? I know they're looking at investment from IMG. It, it seems like there's a, a lot of growth in Australia with the state of origin. I still watch that. It's phenomenal. Just give us a snapshot of how League is now in England and the Super League with the Catalan Dragons as well involved. I'd say I'd say similar to Union. We're sort of at a stage now where we, we need some changes to be made to, to move forward. IMG have, have come in and they've I think they've got a 12-year contract to to basically help change the look of the game and, and change how it's how it's put across to to people, which is needed. I think rugby leagues, it's a little bit old-fashioned thinking for too long now. There's not been a lot of change in the last 15 years. It's been very, very similar. And the growth in the NRL, the NRL is just booming. You know, they're getting more investment, bigger salary caps. The players are getting bigger, faster, stronger. The product's growing. And, and we're not we're not following that. Uh, it's something that we, we need to do. In terms of the actual league, you know, we've got, a, we've got a good league, got a competitive league. It's just how we get it out there and how we broadcast it a little bit better. St. Helens are the, are the best side. They've, they've won four grand finals on the spin now, which is pretty annoying. But yeah, they're, they're doing well. And there's some clubs that have fallen away and, and the, the top few, the, the strong clubs in our league will always be strong. What we need is, is the guys down at the bottom, the, the teams that are in 9th, 10th, 11th every year or very often. We want to be able to get them pushed up and, and make it a little bit more unpredictable at the top. I'd say it'd be the biggest, uh, the biggest change that we could make. Yeah, because it's an interesting scenario when you look at IMG and they've got this 10, 12-year plan or whatever it is. We had a similar thing with CVC. They've pumped in the money and it's all gone. And then people look to myself and ex-players and people who work in the media and they're like, well, the game needs to grow. And mm. we have an opinion on the game not growing or being in a shit spot, but I ain't got the answers. I don't even know where to start. And one thing we speak about is the access and the product and how you make it exciting. You look at boxing, you look at UFC, contact sports as well. And that's one of the big things. I, I mean, I did listen to a couple of things where you were talking about it and you can hear it's difficult. We don't have the answers. You're, you're still playing. You, you're almost yeah. wanting other people to make them decisions. Are there any quick fixes, do you think, for the rugby league to try and do what they've done in the NRL. Do they get better access? Yeah, I think the it's just it's just money. The investment is huge. Sponsors are huge. Broadcasting deals are huge. They they go on multiple channels. Every single game's televised. Now you know we we've not even got every game televised. We have two or three games televised a week. So getting that would be the the big thing. I think in terms of actually selling the sport, like I I do work with Sky Sports and, and Channel Four this year in. In, in punditry analysis and things, I think were so boring. Every coach gets interviewed and says, the team they're going to play next, they're a very well-coached team. They've got threats all across the field. Like, rubbish. If not, you're playing against the worst team in the league. We should be able to have the confidence to say, if we don't win by 20 this week, there's something wrong. That would instantly create 
a little bit more atmosphere for games. Along the lines, you know, boxers sell fights and they sell it. And very often the, the selling of the fight is more impressive than the fight. Or we're the opposite. We don't really have any sell. You know, two teams could be playing and it's pretty, both coaches say uh, nice things and both captains and, you know, and I'm, I'm part of it. I do an interview and I don't want to be the one that goes, actually, no, these men are, these men are shit. We're going to batter them. Nobody wants to be that guy. But I think collectively, I think we should do, all coaches should do their interviews with a lie detector on. So when they say, do you think Castleford are any good? If you say, yeah, I go, beep, now he's lying. Uh-uh. They've got, we've got to do something different. We've got to sell the sport, I think. And we can look for, IMG can bring in all the different things. But I think as, as players and as coaches, we have to take a little bit of responsibility to somehow sell games a little bit, bit stronger. And that would be... But again, I'm saying that and it's very easy to say it and not really have a plan for it. So there's much cleverer people than me that are working that out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, football's taken over, hasn't it? Soccer. We've got a few lessons mm-hmm. in America. But... That's what I mean that it has. They, they've taken hold of it, haven't they? And they've just ran with it commercially. And I think that league, when I look at league and I look at union, they're on this similar path. Numbers are dwindling, participation because of everything that's going on, the fact that it is a contact sport commercially, especially up north with the northern teams. We've got Newcastle and Sale. They're struggling to sell out even close. They're struggling to get 5,000 into some of the games. Mm. And I just think it's a real shame. But we'll come on to some positives about it at the minute because it's a, clearly a fantastic sport that we've played. But just about the players from league that come over to play Union. We've spoken about Sean Edwards there. We can talk about Andy Farrow and Kevin Sinfield in a minute as well. But just from a player's point of view, you nearly signed for Saracens with your brother. I came the yeah. year your brother left to Saracens, I think. But we're seeing less and less uh, transfer over to Union. Do we know why that is? Have you got an insight into that? It feels from my point of view, and this is again, maybe just a bit of speculations around media, but the Sam Burgess situation looked like it burnt the bridge for whatever reason. Mm. He was a superstar who came over and got harshly treated by the media. I thought it was shocking the way that it was dealt with, but then you realise it wasn't just the media. It seemed to be like an insider thing as well around the the England national team in the World Cup that was in 2015 in England. Is there a reason why lads aren't coming across anymore? To be honest, I don't know the reason. And I don't I don't actually think the Sam Burgess thing would have affected it that much. I just think it's the right players haven't been available at the right times. Now, there's a lot more players going from Super League to the NRL because a lot of the time when you go to go from league to union, money's a factor. Generally, players are getting a pay rise to go to rugby union. Well, now they can go to the NRL and get an even bigger pay rise than that. So anyone that were driven by money might be swayed more towards the NRL now. So I think that's probably that's probably a, a factor of it. So on that, Sam, are you happy to share... I mean, because there's a lot of talk around the salary cap at the minute as well in Union. Is there a cap in league? And can you share us, like, what would a top earner in Super League be on compared to an NRL player? So a top earner in Super League would be on 300, 350 a year. In the NRL, there's, there's players on a million dollars a year, more like six 600,000 English, so pretty much double. And, and in the NRL, they have a minimum wage, so if you're in the first team, the minimum wage, I think, is $120,000, about seventy-five grand English. Now, there's a lot of players in Super League not on seventy-five grand. a lot. As a young player, I think this is where, you know, a young player might be getting offered thirty grand to go and play full-time in Super League. You know, somebody who's not really valued, but they could go to the NRL and just go and play for a feeder club or go and get in a squad and be earning more than that. Players that are getting offered 50, 60 grand 
they'll be worth a minimum minimum wage contract in the NRL. So you can go and live on the other side of the world and earn a bit more money. Their salary cap, I don't know the number. I'd be guessing it's six million, I think, dollars for the team. You know, we're at, I think ours is one point nine million pounds, and and there's lots of rules amongst it. So if a player's been coached by one side for ten years, they get. 50 grand off the cap or there's, there's lots of little things so, so clubs spend a bit over a bit over two million a year but yeah it's, it's way below what the nrl can spend yeah and then when you're watching the state of origin i watched it this time around it's just madness like i'm watching that madness what kind of level is that compared to some of the games if if we're going to play in st ellen's these local derbies and stuff like that are they at that level or is it the way that it's produced that makes us think that it isn't yeah the way it's produced i think is a, is a lot bigger and and, you know, Aussies like blowing smoke up their own ass, don't they? So they'll tell you how Origin's unbelievable and, and all that. But I know players that have played Origin and very, very good players. But there's a lot of players in this country that, that could compete at that level, uh, I'm sure, without doubt. The biggest games over here are, are full on. You know, I've, I've played in the NRL and, and they've got the best players in the world, without doubt. Um, but we've got some, some over here that could compete in that league comfortably. There's players that have, have never gone over that I really wish they had. Um, you know, some players I feel like would have, like you look at Sam Burgess, James Graham, Adrian Morley, these are all players that have gone over and done really well in the NRL. I wish more had gone and tried it because I think we'd have people who give the English players a little bit more respect if they, people like Sean O'Loughlin had gone over or James Roby at St. Helens had gone over. People like that who are, who are legends of, of rugby league in this country, I believe they could have gone and done the same in the NRL, but because they never went, we'll, we'll never know. And what about any of the union lads, like a young Owen Farrell? I say young, he's in his prime now, but trying to get him over to league in his prime. I'm sure there must be appetite there somewhere, but things are going well for him. Chris Ashton, end of his career, maybe? Yeah, potentially. Chris has got everything you need to be a, a good rugby league player, and he's, he's shown that. I think Owen would be the best player in Super League every single year. Really? He's that good. He's the best rugby league player in the last 10 years, and he's never played a game. In my opinion. Come on, hit us with the reasons why. Because Owen's been been through a bit of a dip in terms of losing his place and captaincy and stuff like that. But he's been phenomenal of late. If you had to design a rugby league player, if you you got all the best rugby league brains in the world and you came up with a player, it'd be Owen Farrell, without doubt. I think he's tough, he's resilient, he's very smart, he reads the game really well, he can kick, he can pass. If you run into him, He'll smash you. He's got everything. For me, I'm a I'm always the biggest fan, as you can probably tell. I just think he's he's got everything. There isn't a bit of his game that he lacks. And he's got that bit of, you know, where he pushes it too far sometimes and he'll get the, the high tackle or but but that's you need that in league. You have to have that in your in your in your armor. And sometimes that's what people don't have. What they they can be an amazing player, but they've not got that that bit of grit that that, that Owen's got. Owen's got the perfect blend, I think. And, and if Owen had played Super League, I think he'd be the best player we've, we've ever we've ever seen. Well, look, at his, his dad was the best, one of, if not the best. His uncle, Sean O'Loughlin, is one of the very best in the last 15 years. So, you know, why would he not be? I, I think he'd, he'd, he'd have been better than his dad, been better than his uncle, he'd have been better than anyone in the last 10 years. Any whispers or not? Is anyone pushing him on it? Do you know if he's got appetite without speaking for him? I know that he likes rugby league, but I know that he's ultra successful in rugby union. And and if I was him, you know, I'd be I'd be doing what, I, what exactly what he's doing. You know, he's enjoying himself. He's a he's a star of the game. He's he's a star all over the world in in, in rugby union. 
but yeah, if if he ever did fancy fancy it, you know, the end of his career, it'd be it'd be amazing to see what he could do because I do genuinely believe he'd be uh, he'd be an unbelievable unbelievable player. Yeah, that's class. And maybe we're both biased because he's got the name Farrell and that makes us just think that he's going to be <laughs> yeah, very true. nice. But <laughs> talking of Farrell, his dad's done incredibly well at Ireland. I don't know how much you've seen of that, how much union you've mm-hmm. seen, but in the summer they went down to New Zealand and won a test series there, yeah. which no one's ever done before. So that shows you how big it is. But both him and Kevin Sinfield, who, again, we've had on the podcast and had a couple of interactions around his work with Rob Burrow, that challenge that he's doing is unbelievable. My work with uh, Doddy Weir and now Ed Slater uh, around the MND stuff. I mean, two guys that I've not spoken to. I've not spoken to Andy Farrell much. I've spoken to Kevin Moore, and he's only said about three or four words to me. Very quiet, humble guys. For the listeners because a lot of these will be union followers and they'll be looking at the very best coaches. We've touched on Sean Edwards. What is it about these lads that have come to union and just transformed? I, I say transformed. They've just been successful. They're just born winners. Yeah. What is that? I think it's it's exactly what you said then, that the winners, you know, I think you could, there's certain people, they've got that winning mentality and I, I feel like you could put them in in any walk of life, in any any job, any industry, and they'd be successful. I think that's a, that's a trait that not everybody's got, and they they know how to win. The people that you've touched on, they've won everything. You know, none of them have just been good players at average clubs. They've won everything. They've won trophy after trophy after trophy. So, you are what you repeatedly do, and if you're repeatedly winning, you're a winner. So, I think I think that's the the, the biggest thing. Like Sean Edwards is the most decorated player in rugby league history. There's no secret that he knows how to win things, and 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 he's not just been a a winger that scored a few tries in a good team. He's orchestrated the best team, the same as Andy Farrell orchestrated a great Wigan team that won a lot of trophies. And, and Kev Sinfield was dominant in Super League for a long, long time and in leading the club. Kevin Sinfield was captain of Leeds Rhinos at 22 years old and they were no good. He came in and changed it. He set a culture from 22 years old. At 22, I was just deciding which car I should buy. Like it wasn't, I wasn't thinking about culture or anything like that. Kevin Sinfield was, and, and I've heard Kev talk about it. He came in and had to tell some senior players, look, this is how we're going to do it. From 22 years old, you know, now he's nearly 40, is he? And he, he probably, all he's done since 22 is get better at being a leader. So you you, you continue on that path and, and yeah, any, any walk of life, you'll be successful. But in, in rugby, something that they're already obsessive over. It's a, it's a great combination. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go. I don't know how coincidental it is. One thing I always say is that northerners are hard, salt of the earth, working class. Mm-hmm. It feels that that's what it is. When 
we'll get on to the World Cup stuff now and around England, the national stuff and, and Great Britain. And most of you from up north or are there a few L- Londoners or, or what? Like how, what's the makeup like of the English geography? Very, very northern. As in what? What kind of ratio? 100%. There's <laughs> you know, a group of us trying to think now. In our 24-man squad, the furthest we'll have is Mike McBeacon that played at he played for London Broncos, but he's not actually from London. He's Midlands somewhere. That's about as south as we get. It's still hard in the Midlands. That's where I'm from. So not that I'm saying I'm hard, but yeah, a bit more edgy there, gritty. So that's about it. That's about as far as we go. Everyone else is, is you know, we live in Wigan, St. Helens, Warrington. These are just rugby league towns and they're so close to each other and they just produce the best rugby league players. It's the same as, you know, we, the best rugby union players are created somewhere else. You know, we're, we're different. We're very different in a lot of ways. A huge amount of similarities, as as I found, even when I, I just played one game for the Barbarians. You know, I'd never, never, I didn't know anything about rugby, but I went in and played for the Barbarians against Australia. And just going into a group, and I was like, oh yeah, I can see. Although we're all, we're very different. There's a lot of the same sort of feeling in, in things. So, but yeah, our, our English team is very northern. We've got one lad coming from one lad with an Australian accent. Victor Radley, he plays for Sydney Roosters. His dad's actually from Sheffield. So he'll be the only guy in camp without a northern accent. But he'll be convincing people that because his dad is a northerner. Yeah, that'll take some convincing. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about England then, because a lot of people, and I say a lot of people, myself and my mates who watch rugby league will think of Great Britain. That's the kind of go-to. Yeah. So there's a World Cup that was meant to be played last year, but because of COVID and yeah. Australia and New Zealand, two of the best teams couldn't travel. It's now been put forward to later in October, mid-October starts, I think. Yeah, yeah, mid-October, yeah. Can you just give us a lay of the land of how a World Cup looks in rugby league and the kind of best teams and just kind of give us a flavour of, mm. of what to expect? Well, yeah, it starts mid, mid-October mid and we, we kick off with a, a double header in Newcastle. We open up against Samoa. The best teams in the world are Australia are the best. Then below that would be New Zealand and England. and then. Just below that, very closely, be Tonga and Samoa. Um, so it's it's those five teams that'll be will be battling it out really. In our group, we've got France, which would be good, giving a lot of my mates hiding. Greece, Samoa, France, and Greece. So it, the the games are spread all over the country. We start in Newcastle, then we go to Bolton, Sheffield, then we're down in London for the London for the semi-finals, uh, and then back to Old Trafford for the final, which will be amazing. I think it's. You know, playing internationals is brilliant. It's 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 the best, whether it's a series against Australia or New Zealand, whatever it is. But a World Cup has a different feel to it. And I think because it got pushed back last year and it got pushed back pretty late, basically last year, everyone sort of said, yeah, we'll go ahead. And then Australia said, look, we, we can't travel. And there was talk of, you know, do we go ahead without Australia? But then it would have been, well, if you win it, everyone will say the Aussies weren't in. You know, it'd be tarnished, so... Yeah, they, they dug the heels in and, and, you know, they're the best team. You know, had Greece or France said they weren't coming, we'd have been play on last year. But because they are the the, the red-hot favourites and, and the best team, it felt right to, to push it back, which was frustrating. Certainly for anyone who was in good form last year, who, who was in the England squad, because there's players playing now that, that weren't in the picture last year. And there was players that were shoo-ins last year that don't play now. So you've got to feel a little bit of sympathy for some people that, that missed out on it and, and won't play a World Cup again. But for the guys that's in, it's an amazing opportunity, you know, to, to have a World Cup on home soil. We've got a really strong group. You know, we're, we're not the favourites to win it. I think we'd be second, third favourites. But we've just got to go and beat Australia 
or New Zealand in a final, which is doable on the day. And is it as simple as game in each pool, then it goes to the quarters, the semis, and then a final as simple as that? Yeah, yeah. So you you get out of your pool, you finish uh, one or two in in your in your pool, you go to a quarter, a semi, then then a final. So it's not very long, you know. It was only when I started training last week when I came back over from France, started training and looking at the schedule. There's not many games between starting and winning a final, so you know I'm 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 excited about it. It'll be certainly the last World Cup I'm I'm involved in, and um, so I don't want to let the opportunity to to go by without grabbing it. And are they going big on it as well in terms of the commercial aspect with the fact that we're talking about not that means they're going big on it, but getting access to a player like yourself to talk about it. The Women's World Cup's going to be played, the Wheelchair World Cup. Is the hysteria building around it, do you feel, as a player? Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been building and I think it'll build more and more as we get a little bit closer. You know, we've never had a, a men's, women and a wheelchair all on at the same time. And I just want people to get behind the England team not just us but the women and the wheelchair you know the the women in the wheelchair you know they'd be nearly favorites to to be to be up there and, and taking the taking the world cup out so hopefully you know three successful teams on home soil in a world cup it could be huge for the sport going forward you know we touched on you know the, the, the state that rugby league's in and, and it needs a boost well there'd be no better boost than being world champions would there so there's, a, there's certainly a pressure on the players for that. Any players we should be looking out for as well? Ones that we wouldn't know necessarily or roll off the tongue? Is there anyone that you're excited that's come through, whether the World Cup could be a springboard or later into the next few years? There's a young lad, Jack Wellsby. He's just won Young Player of the Year for the second time in Super League. He's just won the Super League Grand Final on Saturday with St. Helens. Uh, Jack Wellsby is very exciting, very exciting young player that I think... You know, he's, he's someone that could go and play union if wanted. You know, he's fast, he kicks. Just a natural, real natural rugby player. He's a fullback by trade, but he's played in the halves at fullback. He's played 13, he's been on the wing. You know, he's just someone that, you know, you'll have seen those players before where you, you think just get him in the 17 somewhere and he'll, he'll do something. So I'd say Jack Wellsby certainly certainly one to, to watch for anyone who's who's not sure on, on certain players. Pick up Jack Wellsby and I'm sure he'll be impressed. And then you personally... How's the body? There's talk of captaincy. I don't know whether that's been formalised yet since I've looked at some of the stuff that you've been involved in, but how are you personally? Is that appetite there? Have you, any news? Yeah, um, the body's pretty good. I picked up a, a knee injury back in, in August, which meant I missed a few games. I could only play the, the more important ones for the for the Catalan Dragons coming towards the end of the year. So that was a bit frustrating, but it also it meant that I'll be 100% for the World Cup because I've not sort of damaged anything going forward from the, the initial injury but yeah my appetite for it's huge you know it's like I say I'm, I'm captain of a national team having a world cup on home soil I'm 33 I'm never going to do this again you know so I'm going I'm going out swinging it's a game and a competition that I you know it'll be pivotal in you know when I look back on my career in five ten years time whenever it is that I want to reflect on on my rugby league journey this will be a big part of it I'm sure and then just lastly Sam Rugby seems like a game that has given you everything and you've given a lot back to it as well. I think from a league, one thing where we are very similar from league and union is that we are going through this kind of tough transitional period of all eyes, all all audiences are looking at the game as a whole, the game of rugby because of the contact that's involved, because the amount of games that you lads have to play, that I had to play, commercial element, especially on this side of the world. 
what would you say to people that are interested in getting into rugby? Like, how much has it given you? How, how much opportunity and foundation as a man has it given you? It's given it's given me everything from seven years old. As it's become my job, you know, it's given me it's given me amazing opportunities. I've I've been pl- all over the world, played in different countries, met people I'd never meet in any other walk of life. It, it sort of moulded me from seven years old rugby league. And there's, there's certain things and lessons I learned at seven years old that now at 33 are equally as important. One of my sons has just started playing rugby and, you know, he, he falls and, and has a bang and hurts his arm and my wife's like, oh, no. And and I, I've got the, the fathering instinct is, oh, protect him because it is a tough sport and I don't want him to bump himself and I don't want him to get hurt. But then I quickly revert back to, well, I'd be hypocritical to say, don't go and do this because it has given me everything. It's a sport that I love. It's a sport that moulds people. Had I not played rugby league, I wouldn't be the same person I am today, regardless of playing rugby or professionally or anything like that. And I've got friends that I've grown up with and they didn't go on to be professional, but they, you know, they've, they learned certain things that I think are real life lessons and it's given me everything. And the product itself is amazing. Anyone who's never seen a game, you know, I just urge them, just, just watch, watch one game, pick a team in this World Cup, don't matter who, just say, right, I'm going to follow that team and watch them and see. And it's a, it's a great sport. It's fast. It's exciting. It's, it's brutal. It's got some amazing skill in it as well. So there's, I don't know what more you could want. Absolutely. So for people wanting to watch the World Cup, Sam, where will it be aired? What kind of channels? Will it be across multi-channels or, or just Sky Sports? It'll be on a few different channels. BBC, I'll take a, a lot of it. Sky Sports will be on some. And it starts mid-October. It's 14th of October, I think, is the, is the first game against Samoa for England but yeah I'm sure all the all the details are easily easily found on the on the internet but yeah I urge anyone and, and you know the rugby union followers that you have listening to the podcast you know just give it a chance I'm someone that enjoys both codes league and union and I think if, if people give it a try they'll, they'll enjoy it well Sam Tompkins thanks very much class act and wish you all the best in the World Cup in the next couple of months mate thank you very much appreciate it thanks for having me